Grace, mercy, and peace. Wow, that's loud, isn't it? We'll try this again. My voice is loud enough on its own, isn't it? Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So I know I'm a new face to some of you. My name is Rob, Rob Donaldson. My wife Carrie and I have been around the congregation here for a few months. We're fairly new to Houston, in fact. A little bit more background uh, for you. So, um, grew up on the West Coast, California kid. Uh, thanks from someone. Yeah, that's right on. There we go. That's right. Exactly right. Which is a good thing. Um, we've been bouncing around the Midwest. Went to seminary in 2004. Served a full-time call up in Wisconsin for several years. Went back to California and kind of the back in the business world. Um, kind of bivocational, whatever that means exactly, which we can talk about. Um, but was able to get back in the business world and, and continue to serve the church. And so we came to Houston, like I said, almost two years ago. My wife, Carrie, and I will celebrate 25 years of marriage next month. Praise God. And the, the ad, added bonus today is that my daughter, my 20-year-old daughter, Danielle, is here this morning. She came in last night from school. And so I'm so excited that I can preach to her and talk about her for the rest of the morning because she's kind of used to it. That, that's one way to introduce who I am. Actually, the other way I thought about doing it is I was going to wear my Packers jersey since I'm a Packers fan, but I thought that might be a little confrontational. I didn't want to be confrontational this morning, so we'll wait until later. Maybe we'll wait until after the victory, but we'll, we, won't get, we won't go into that. We won't go into that. That's, that's who I am. I'm excited, really excited to be with you this morning and just talk about the Lord and what He has to say to us and how he chooses to work through us. Would you pray with me, please? Gracious Father, we thank you uh, for this day. The rain which you have brought, which nourishes your creation, or the relationships which you have given to us of, of family, biological family, but especially, Father, in this, your house, the body of Christ, the faith, the one faith, the one spirit, the one baptism which we all celebrate. We thank you for this time. We pray that, that my words would be faithful. We pray that those who are here would hear and repent and be nurtured in faith as well. And Father, we pray for your spirit to be present and to cover us and all of this this morning. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as was already said, we're in the second week of Advent today. And the fun part is, and I'm really excited about this, is we're going to take a look at Matthew's gospel, specifically chapter 3. Part of what's going on here, though, is we have a guy by the name of John the Baptist who is in the narrative. And what's going on with John the Baptist, he's going to speak here and talk about some things. And then through our evangelist Matthew, the author, we have an opportunity to look at how, how the early Christian church looked at John, John's message as the forerunner of Jesus, and hopefully make some, some connections about what it means for us. But I'm going to try to keep us sensitive to the timetable of the comments that are made. That is to say, when John the Baptist says something is active, he's looking at it from before Christ has really revealed who he is through his public ministry. And then we also have the evangelist Matthew, who is the author, who is obviously looking at it after Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, etc., and, and the role for the Christian church. And then we have to figure out what that means for us some 2,000 years later. I know it's a lot to ask. We're going to get into it, and I know if you check out a little bit, I'll try to give you opportunities to check back in, okay? All right, sound good? All right, great. First thing we're going to do, though, is we're going to read our text responsibly, so we're going to see if we can pull this off. I'm going to read a verse, the congregation is going to read a verse, and so on and so on, 
Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. Matthew tells us, In those days John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You bread of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone who is coming soon, who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Okay, so as I said, there's a lot going on here. Maybe it was kind of tough. I know we were kind of practicing that, that responsive reading there. Kind of tough to put the pieces together. But there's, as I said earlier, there's quite a bit happening. You have John the Baptist. And in this section of Matthew, as we get into chapter 3, already we have had the genealogy of, of Matthew. We've had some activities and conversations. We've talked about the leaving Nazareth, returning to Nazareth. And then John is on the scene, who is here now talking about the the coming Messiah, if you will, right? And so this is where Matthew now is narrating the story for us. And so specifically, this is another first thing for me. I have to tell you, I'm used to using a Bible, but you know, we'll go with the phone here. We'll see how this works, having the text here, because I want us to work through this a little bit more. Is that specifically, if we look here at verse, well, verse two, we can put that up on the screen. I know we're working with one screen here too, aren't we? That's right, we can figure this out. In those, uh, excuse me, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is John's word to the people that are gathered that day out in the wilderness. That's what he is proclaiming. And so keep this in mind. Here is John, a faithful Jew Israelite who is there calling Israel to repent and return to their ways of following God. Now, does this sound familiar? Have we heard this before, maybe? Like all of the entire Old Testament, right? I mean, so look at what Matthew is doing here. He's using John in particular and John's words to set up this amazing connection. I don't know if you struggle in your conversations either with 
fellow Christians or, or maybe even just some friends or non-believers about how do we connect the Old Testament with the New Testament. I know how I look at it. It's almost like there's two different gods, meaning that we see this narrative of what's active and very, very active in history and, and how God is working his, his, his wrath and his consolation and, and how he's working out and meeting the history of his people through very specific nations that are all over, and his specific chosen people, that is, the nation of Israel. And then in the New Testament, we have the Son of God among us, who is walking and preaching and individually, and it's, it's really not, not contained by one people or by, by one location or by one nationality. Very, very different views of our one God and our one plan of salvation. So first take note here that, that what, what Matthew is doing is he's using John to create this great, great connection, and we further see this in the next verse as he goes on and says, the prophet Isaiah, now this is Matthew talking or writing, the prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Pray, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. This is to say Matthew was appealing to Isaiah in our scriptures, Isaiah chapter 40, and say this is exactly who the prophet Isaiah was talking about when one comes and says this. Okay, so Matthew's making a very, very strong connection for us here between the Old Testament and New Testament and using the calling of John the Baptist to make that connection. And so if you would have been there in those days hearing John speak, if you would have happened to be either walking by or at the River Jordan and you'd have heard these words coming out and you had any connection with, with Israel or the Old Testament, you would have stopped and said, wait, I've heard that before somewhere. Right? Keep in mind, they weren't like us, walking around town with a copy of the scriptures on our phone, in our pocket, wherever, right? In fact, most folks couldn't read, and so they had been, they had been nurtured in the faith by being gathered together as a community and memorizing the scriptures. So these things were, were on their tongue, in their mouth, in their conversation, and they would have recognized it immediately. And so John's calling to repentance would have been very, very strong, they would have heard it, and those who were repentant, truly repentant, would have stepped right into it because they desired to have a relationship with their God. As far as they knew it so far, the God of the Old Testament. The other thing I want us to take a look at here, though, is uh, verse 2, where John says, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This, this call to repentance is not unique in this section of the scriptures. Is it? We've heard this before, right? Again, we've already hearing that this is very consistent with, with the Old Testament and how God worked through his prophets for years and years, for centuries, to call his people to return to his way. And they would, it's, it's kind of like the soap opera, you know, kind of a soap opera on sand and sandals is what the entire Old Testament would, right? God calls his people, he saves them. What do they do? They rebel. I mean, Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments and they're down in the valley, like the next day, building a golden calf. We realize how quick this happens, right? And yet what does God do? He still saves his people. They repent and, and it's this kind of dynamic, right? God saves, we rebel, we repent. God saves, we rebel, we repent. I mean, just kind of go on and on and on. And this is the message that John has for us, that Matthew is calling out as well. But, but what does it look for like for us today? December, what's the date today? December 4th, 2016, some 2,000 years later. I mean, this is the living word of God. It's a wonderful thing. But 
let's be honest, that was 2,000 years ago. Matthew doesn't really know what we experience today and how we go about this. If you were raised, and, and I was not, if you were raised in a traditional Lutheran church, you probably got used to the liturgy, and that was kind of a corporate confession, confession and absolution. I mean, this is really what he's talking about here, right? When, when, when Matthew, not, not about corporate confession and absolution, he's talking about confessing and being forgiven. Repent of your sins and turn to God. This is not a matter of just saying, I'm sorry, forgive me, Lord but it actually continues to the point of turning your behavior. It's, it's a turning. I'm doing this right now. Father, forgive me. I repent. I want to turn toward you and go this way. There is some action invo- involved as well. I have to tell you one of the things, and you can ask my daughter about it, that we tried to work with, um, is how do we live this out? Not growing up as a Lutheran, as a kid, um, as an adult coming to Lutheran church, I really do cherish I do cherish our liturgy. It's really good, right? Um, the confession. I confess that I am by nature sinful and unclean. I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Renew us and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Those are wonderful words, and, and I know that they can sometimes appear as rote and memorized and out of the book, but it's really, anything can appear that way. But that focuses on our corporate time together, which I appreciate, and that's really what God calls his people to do, to gather and to confess, to repent, to turn of their ways, to be forgiven, and go forth to share the good news. But again, what does it mean for us, December 4th, 2016? See, I think the struggle, and my kids, so my daughter's 20, my son's 22, my kids are a little bit older, but we really would struggle with how do we do this? How do we do this with young families? I know we might have a couple young families here with us today, am I right? Actually, a little quiet right now, which I appreciate, but you can hear the noise. I know they're off, so we'll talk to the parents a bit more today. How do you do this? I will tell you that, that as I preach... It's, it's easy to be prescriptive, however, I don't find that being overly faithful to the challenge of living by faith. That is to say, I can give you five ways to be a good husband, or we can talk about how do we live in faith and recognize that it's incredibly diverse. It's not one size fits all. But there are a few things that I think we can tap into, and this repent and turn to God is one of them. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Those who are believers of Christ, who are faithful, have been given the opportunity to actually reconcile others to God, and he uses us to do that. And this isn't just because Paul made it up. I think Jesus talks this way. John 20, for example, other parts, if you forgive sins, they are forgiven. So we have this opportunity for us to actually practice this forgiveness of sins, let me share a story. This was always, I use this quite a bit because it's compelling for me as a, as a good reminder. When we were in St. Louis, um, maybe the first year, second year there at the seminary, back 2004, 2005, we were at a gas station. And so my kids at that time would have been seven and nine we left. So let's say they were eight, nine, 10, 11, kind of in that range, right? 
And we, we stopped at a gas station to get gas. I got out and I was you know, at the pump and filling the car. So the, the gas pump's here, I'm filling up, and there's a car across the pump on the other side. And the gentleman on that side is on the phone. Whoever he's talking with, he's not happy. And I can tell he's not happy because of the colorful language that he is using every other word. So, you know, I finished my, you know, the, the door's open. I, I'm standing there kind of watching. And, and he gets off the phone and recognizes that I'm standing there with my wife and kids in the car. And he says, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. What did I say? What would you have said? Someone said it. It's okay, don't worry about it. Exactly, it's okay, don't worry about it. And we kind of went on our day and kind of went from there. As we started talking about within the family, within the body, in congregations and study and family, how do we do this? Is that we began to instruct and use the language in our family when our kids would fight with one another, we would tell them to confess their sin to their brother or sister, ask for forgiveness, and then the sister or brother would then say, I forgive you back. Let's, we could practice how this works in my family, because I have to do this quite a lot. Carrie, please forgive me for not taking out the trash. For not, I mean, just right, go on down the list. And Carrie, we both keep each other accountable of, no, I ask for forgiveness. Please respond with, I forgive you. See, this idea of reconciliation, of repenting and turning to God, is not just in the worship time with you and your Father in heaven. Amen is at the core and foundation of everything, yes. But a way we can grow to really understand the fullness of that is in our relationships every single day, and it, it, it starts in the family. I mean, if we can do this close to home and just kind of practice it behind closed doors, wow, that's powerful. And we began to see with ourselves how reconciliation happens, how I come in God's house, and he already knows everything in your life. He knows every bit about it. But it is so powerful to say it out loud. We can't say it there. It's so powerful to say it just in our hearts and voice it, verbalize it as we're here getting ready for worship. But that takes some time. I get it. I understand that. But you can practice with the little things in your home, with your spouse, with your kids. And it creates an opportunity so that the pattern, the living of a Christian life, begins to reflect what, what John was calling those people to do thousands of years ago, what Matthew was telling us about in his gospel. This is real stuff, folks, and the pattern of life can be reflective of what our relationship is with our Father in heaven. Amen? All right, so I want you to hold me accountable to that. And I'll do the same for some of you, the ones that I know about, the ones that invite me to. It's practice. It takes time. It takes conscious remembering. So that is not to say when I'm at the gas pump with my car and the guy says, oh, I'm so sorry, I should not have said, oh, I forgive you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I could have tried that. I'm not sure how we'd have taken it. That's not my point. My point here is that life really reflects, I mean, we all live it together, right? And we do this with our kids, and so we're Christians. We say Jesus Christ is our Lord, and that means something. So let's figure out how we practice that in our lives, in just small steps. Okay, that's only one point from the message today, so let's not get off track here. We've got a lot to cover. 
Let's get back to Matthew. So Matthew chapter three, though. Okay, so, so Matthew's going on, and he's, he starts with this, right? And he's talking about John. And so then we get this description in verse four of John's clothing, that he wore uh, clothes woven from coarse camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate food and ate, uh, of lo- locusts and honey. I, I have to say, so I, I travel internationally for work, and I was in Europe, um, get in Europe occasionally, and some of the most compelling artwork that I've seen are paintings of John the Baptist from 1,000, 1,500 years ago. It's really amazing. The, the, the visual of this, this prophet of God and what he was going through to call God's people to return to him because he loved his Lord first and he loved the people that he was calling to. We go on. So people from Jerusalem and, and all over Judea and the Jordan Valley went out to see John and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Let's not confuse that with our Christian baptism, okay? We'll come back to this one here. Verse seven, but when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to him to be baptized, he denounced them, you brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee from God's wrath. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are the descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the tree, 